You are listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom. Soul Searching is a journey where I engage with faith leaders and academics to explore deep questions of meaning. Questions that all of us ask at some point in our lives, such as, why are we here? What is right and wrong? Is there good and evil? Is truth relative or absolute? Is there life after death? And to help us in our journey this evening, we welcome back Father John Bethencourt from Holy Trinity Orthodox Church. Father John, welcome back. Thank you. It's good to be back with you. It's great having you here. So let's start. When you were here last year, we spoke amongst many things of this noetic understanding of God. And and I remember you quoted Romans 12 as a pointer to the level of getting to know God. And and you spoke about the transrational. And I've been thinking about this for a year or so. Um, and, and I wanted to ask, how is transnational, uh, transrational different from irrational? And I, I particularly ask because I remember you saying about orthodoxy as paradoxy. So is paradox irrational or transrational? And, and, and what's the difference between the two for you? Great. <clears throat> Great question. Um, let's start with uh, Romans 12 again. What is that verse? Because some may not know that verse. Uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2, uh, St. Paul writes about not being conformed to this world's mold, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, it says in English. But the Greek there is nous, and the nous is the faculty that God has given all human beings that is above reason, and it's able to actually know God, to, to be able to even see God. If, it's, if, it, if the noose is clear, if this uh, spiritual perception is clear, and it can be cleared in the human being, then they're able to see God. So that's where it comes from, to, to not be uh, conformed to the world's way of seeing, but being transformed by the renewal of your noose, by the renewal of your mind. Um, but again, higher than mind. See, I remember when you were here, I remember you talking about creation. I can't remember the exact phrase, but creation being a sort of testament of God. Why is it a problem to be confined by this world? Why can't God be revealed through the rationale of this world? Why why does one have to be transrational? Excellent. Um, Of course, he can be uh, and is seen through that which is nat- natural. And so we begin there with natural contemplation. We're not anti the creation. Uh, the psalmist says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. The whole creation, matter of fact, for, for Orthodox, we would say that the creation or nature is the first gospel. Oh, that was it, the yes. first gospel, right. It, it informs us about who God is. But you're saying there's an extra level of that's one awareness, but here's another awareness. Exactly. So in the West, the rational mind is really elevated to the highest. Mm. And I understand that uh, because the rational faculty is a great gift given to us by God. So we would not want to fall into the irrational. That would be to fall below nature, below who we're created to be even below the animals, we would say. So to be irrational would be something we would want to avoid. And if we fall into that which is below nature to have that healed, 
and to at least get up to a natural level where we're able to contemplate creation and to see God's fingerprints everywhere uh, throughout all creation. So I I still don't understand the difference between transrational and irrational. Because transrational would be be above nature. If the rational is just what is natural to us, uh, the gift of springing up above that would be trans or above or epi uh, natural. It's above, but it's still part of our natural being. That is to say the noetic gift is also part of what it meant to be a a human being. But when we speak about the fall of Adam and Eve or the fall of human beings, we would say the first thing that was lost was this noetic sight, like cataracts covering it. Uh, that needed so it needs to be healed to be restored, and so in the gospel you often see Jesus healing the blind. It's not just about the physical people who happen to be physically blind for whatever reasons. Thank God that He healed them on a natural level, but all of those events and there are many of them are telling us uh, spiritually about the healing of the noose the noetic sight, so that we really can see. I'm, I'm still learning here, as I always do when we talk. I'm not sure, for me, that there is a, an issue with the irrational in that sense of sometimes, and maybe I'm talking about the transrational without realizing, yes. um, in that sense of putting aside the scientific mechanistic way of thinking and just being. A- and that I guess one could say is irrational, but I'm wondering if this is just semantics. Yes, I think it is because uh, I think you would agree that there are some things that are irrational, uh, like terrible murders that take place that come out of madness of mind, of the loss of the rational faculty to think about consequences and so forth. So that's how I was using irrational. But let's let's switch to – just to simply say that in addition to reason, there is something else that we can enter into, whether we want to call it transrational or uh, higher than the rational part. But there is something I think we could agree on that uh, is true that as we quiet ourselves, we come into a state of being where we're much more open to epiphanies, to some kind of aha experience. And a direct, perhaps a direct encounter with God. I, this has been very helpful for me. To that's a very helpful clarification between the difference of irrational and transrational. It's almost uh, for me hearing what you're saying. Uh, uh, talk about mystery in some sense. Yes, and for Orthodox, mystery is everything. We, well, when I say that, let me qualify it quickly to say that we again love what is natural, what can be experienced by the senses. You know, the smell of incense for me is really powerful. The sight of beeswax candles burning, the icons that we have in the church, the the hymnology that we have, the singing, the chanting, all of these things are accessed by our uh, senses, our natural senses, Uh, the the smells and taste and touch, uh, sight and hearing. 
all part of the natural senses. But we also believe that there is a mystery which one can enter into that is beyond the natural, what we would normally call the natural level, and it's an encounter with the supernatural, with with God. So, um, see, talk of supernatural is an extra element here, I think. I, I'm always struck by, when, when we talk, I'm always struck by the the way that your community embraces and lives in mystery. Yes. Um, and I, I guess I wonder, and maybe this is, again, me coming from an, originally an astrophysics background, in a world where so many people search for answers, is mystery a way of avoiding answers? Are you actually not avoiding answers but just focusing on questions? Or is mystery putting all of that aside? What is it for you exactly? Yeah. We would have two different forms of theology in the Orthodox Church. One form is cataphatic. It's what we can catechize, we can teach. It's what we can know. It's what uh, several thousand years of experiential and uh, direct contact with God and ex experimenting in the laboratories of the churches and monasteries, of what we have learned over several thousand years about God. And so there are many, many things that we can speak about in that positive and direct and, and really, in a sense, absolute sense. Um, so I don't think we're avoiding questions or, or avoiding giving answers. Mm -hmm. I think we mm -hmm. have very concrete, cataphatic teachings. But what I love about orthodoxy that I didn't have growing up in the West, in the West I would say we have uh, – an emphasis, again, on the rational mind, on, on, on answers. Um, and one of the things I love about new physics is it's taken science into a realm that has to include mystery, the, the, the experience of I just don't know. Right. And there's all sorts of paradoxes in new, in new physics. For example, light. Is mm -hmm. it particle right, right. Is it? or is it wave? Uh, it's, it's a, you don't pit one against the other, that these dichotomies – are lessened in, in new physics, and mystery is introduced again. This is much more like orthodoxy for us because in addition to cataphatic teaching, we have apophatic, which is the way of unknowing. It's the way of saying, yes, we can say all of these things are true about God or about the human being, and then there's more. And out of humility, I just embrace that more. And it has lots – there are questions and there's – just openness, there's peace in the not knowing. So I would say we have both answers and are open to the expansiveness of who God is. We cannot put God in a box. Well, that, that leads me very helpfully, I think, on, on to, since you were talking about the supernatural, and I, I remember, and let's ask this before we take a break, um, I remember last time we spoke, you were talking about theosis and you were talking about being engodded, yes. uh, about how human beings can be engodded. And that's actually, I, I wanted to know more because that, that exactly sounds like putting God in a box in the sense of if God is the creator of the universe, if God is the creator of humanity, how can we possibly be engodded? How can some being that is so other 
to humanity be contained in such a small vessel such as ours? So doesn't that limit God? Doesn't this, doesn't this put God in a human-shaped a human shaped box? No, I, th- I think it's our understanding would be just the opposite. That one, we would say cataphatically, that God is so humble, he can, he can become dust. He can become microscopic uh, because of his humility. And we would say this is the mystery of the incarnation, that the uncreated eternal God became flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and glory. And for Christians in general, the incarnation is the center point, that God became dust so that dust might be able to participate in whatever way it's able to in the glory of God, to literally have communion with God. So for us, Jesus Christ is the God-man, the theanthropos, the one who's both theos, God, and anthropos, man, human being, that he joins those two and becomes the door by which we can enter into God and to become partakers of the divine nature. Now, when we say that, we mean, no, we do not become God in essence. God alone is God in essence. His nature is uncreated. We will always be creatures created by God. But we can participate in his divine energies. And the example the fathers usually give for this is like iron going into the fire. Right. I remember last time when you were talking about how the iron doesn't become the fire but pulls off the energy of the fire. Is that yes. right? Yes. Do we have time to continue or well, shall we well, pick what we'll that do, up? We'll, what we'll do, we'll take a break and we'll come back because I, I really want to talk about this incarnation, which for me as a, as a rabbi, as a Jew, is, is very challenging to, yeah. to hear. So we're going to um, take a break now. You're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich and my guest this evening, uh, the always fascinating Father John Bethencourt from Holy Trinity Orthodox Church. And we'll be back after this break. You're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom and the leadership, uh, Interfaith Leadership Alliance of Santa Fe. And my guest this evening uh, is Father John Bethencourt from Holy Trinity Orthodox Church. And we've been talking about um, this incarnation. And, and I guess partly for me, the, the challenge is, is this view of God as a supernatural being. Um, a lot of contemporary theology refers to God in more metaphorical ways. Would I be right that that's not your theology, that that God is not metaphorically other, but is literally other, supernaturally other, but could become um, real in, in, a, in a very real tangible human sense? Yes, that would be exactly. That. When we say supernatural, we would mean ab- above nature. So that is to say he's not part of the creation, that the creation is other. And by definition, the creation is created and God is not. God is eternal. And we could say his de- the definition of God is not created, eternal, everlasting. So this sets a difficulty for philosophers and for theologians. Then if the uncreated and the created are such different 
radically different, let's say, categories, mm-hmm. um, how do you bridge that gap? How, how, how do you – how would creation actually know something exists if it's not created? How would, how right. would you even know there is a God? Because God is by definition in our view transcendent, beyond knowing, un- unknowable we would say. We would say God in his love and his mercy transcends his transcendence and becomes imminent. That he in his humility and his love goes beyond his transcendence and enters into our realm. And certainly in, in the scriptures that you have, there are many manifestations of this. But in our view – where God spoke in many and sundry ways in the past through through the burning bush on Mount Sinai and m- many, many ways in the past. We believe that in the fullness of time, he became human. He became man. And because of that, he is inseparably united now to matter, to creation, hmm. which means every speck of stardust can be transfigured and transformed. The, this... Uh theological difficulty of of connecting the creation with the creator all starts from a theological position that this is creation. Um, I think back to Stephen Hawking's brief history of time where he talks about uh, how time and space are connected and therefore there wasn't a beginning per se. It just was. Um, And then time flowed from there. Uh, and that's a, a very, very brief <laughs> – that's a brief history of a brief history uh, yes. of time. Um, so that, so I guess that, that touches on what you were saying before about the new physics um, idea. We have developed from um, a very simplistic understanding of time, um, from time of the past – beginning and and then time continuing and flowing and and moving forward almost as an independent entity and now especially post einstein we we understand time very differently is there a, a particular greek orthodox understanding of time because my sense is from what you're describing theologically there seems to be a, a specific way of explaining time yes i think to i think we would go with more of the big bang uh, theory and that there was a time in which there was no nothing created there was nothing except God and God did not create out of any necessity for us we understand God as one nature that is a supernatural nature that is not created eternal with outside of time but we would also say God is manifested in hypostases is the Greek word or persons, that he is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit eternally, and that there's complete love and fullness in that fellowship, in that koinonia, that communion between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There was no need, no loneliness in God, no need so for creation. So creation is not an act of necessity, but an act of love. Mm-hmm. And so when God created uh, we might say there was a big bang. He spoke it into being. And therefore time began what we would call time. And that from our perspective, time is moving towards uh, 
telos, telos, uh, 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 an ending, a completion, a fullness. So as Aristotle would have understood uh, that kind of movement um, from a, a seed to, to the full oak tree, for example. This would be a view that the Orthodox Christians would hold, that, uh, that God had a beginning and that he has a fullness for time, for creation. Let me ask. Um, I, I, actually, I'm, I'm really fascinated this idea um, that you're describing at the beginning of, of creation um, almost reminds me of, of Lurianic Kabbalah, um, this perspective from um, Middle Ages Jewish mysticism of what's known as Tzimtzum, which was where God contracted, not physically, God contracted because according to Luria, Isaac Luria, God's essence was everything. And in order for the universe to exist, there had to be a place that God allowed to be not God. And therefore, God contracted God's self to give space, again, not physically, to, uh, to the universe. And that seems similar. That I, I like that. Because we would say the whole purpose of creation is relational. Right. Everything is, is interrelational. And so I would say absolutely for there to be relationship or for there to be love, the, the other, the other person has to be in fact other. There has to be time and time and space precisely allows for distance that one can be himself or herself and, and can – self-transcend to know another, to really enter into the other, to really interpenetrate and to know there's a connectedness there. We call it in orthodoxy union without confusion. Hmm. Union without confusion means you can be totally, completely unified and at the same time without confusion. Nobody becomes the – nobody gets subsumed in the other. That would be parasitic. That would be even demonic, we would say. We'd say this is the demonic desire is to consume and others. We talk about not consuming but communing Hmm. and this beautiful interconnection of persons. So for us, personhood is absolute, the personhood of the Trinity and the personhood of humanity. And the beautiful link between the two is the God-man who brings the person, persons of humanity and the persons of divinity into a communion of love where there's union but without confusion. We're still natural, we're still created, and God is uncreated. You mentioned the, the telos, the, the ending, and, uh, and the fullness and I guess as we draw to the ending and the fullness of our show, I'm, I'm wondering, what is that? How, how does that come about? Um, how do we – can we help that come about? Or is that something that is naturally going to happen? What, what's, the, what's the eschatological, the, the viewpoint looking forward? How, how does that end time come to be in, in your community? We would say it's both – God's will and his design and purpose. Uh, so the creator, the one who uh, began the art 
project, as it were, the poem or the dance or however we want to describe creation. Certainly his will, his purpose, his design is, is fundamental, but here's another paradox. He will not force anyone into relationship with him, even if it's a loving relationship. Um, and so our will is really central in participating in the dance. We, we don't have to, um, but in our view, we think that it's very unnatural to not participate in the dance, that in other words, this would be a deviation or in a sense a lie about creation, to think that we can be individualistic rather than personal, that we can live as a separate beings and just using and abusing others for our ends. Uh, that self-centered, egotistical life, we would say, is ultimately based on a lie, and it's not, it, it cannot last forever. And so we would say sometimes God turns up the heat on us, but the heat is his love. His heat is his love. What, what is the heat? Is that a punishment? Is that a, no, I would say it it's, has to do with allowing us to experience consequences sometimes. We would say in parenting it's tough love, um, but it's real love uh, because in God there is no need for punishment. He has no desire to, for retribution. Uh, in God, God is completely love. In him there is no darkness at all. And But that, we might, must not think of him then in some kind of weak sense um, because his divine eros is powerful and full of light. And um, I think of T.S. Eliot's uh, Four Quartets, the last quartet. He speaks about this. Who, who wove this shirt, this, this, uh, this fire, that is like a shirt that I'm, I'm wearing that I can't seem to get off. I'm not, I'm not pulling up the exact phrase, but uh, Eliot says, uh, who, who wove this shirt uh, of fire? Love. And we are going to be saved from fire by fire. That real love will save us from a false love. And so we believe in the end that the whole of the scriptures, the whole of the of our movement in this in this world is towards what we call the wedding feast of the lamb it's towards a marriage it's towards an eternal union it's towards a feast um, yes in this world we will have what uh, tolkien called uh, you he, he spoke of catastrophes and then eucatastrophes the catastrophe is the thing the fall the falling short and the eucatastrophe is the raising back up to the feast. I, we have to, to have that as our ending thought. And that opens up so many more questions. Um, I've really been fascinated by you coming here and, and sharing more of your tradition and theology. And, and, and I really do hope that you're able to come back again and, and we can keep asking more and exploring more. Thank you. With your invitation, I would love to come back. So you've been listening to uh, 
Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom and from the Interfaith Leadership Alliance of Santa Fe. And, and thank you again to my guest, Father John Bethencourt, for a fascinating discussion. Thank you. Until we return again in two weeks' time, keep searching.